0: I'm setting the stage up for you, chérie. When I told my husband that Pastor John had asked me to introduce him, believe it or not, Mark got immediately scared. Actually, his exact words were, oh dear. I assured him he could trust me. Anyway, when I began thinking about it, many different things came to my mind. It's true. You can introduce people in many different ways. You can talk about their accomplishments and their degrees. You can introduce them in reference to their family. His grandfather was, her mother is, his wife is the woman with a funny accent, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. You can tell a story that happened to both of you and reveal an aspect of their character. You can explain how wonderful they are. Well, today, I won't do any of this, but simply share a few facts. Mark is a teacher who sometimes doubts that he is able to reach out to his students. He's a driver who is not always patient on the road. He's a friend who doesn't always comment or like your status on Facebook. He's a father. That's the hard one to say. Often wondering if he's succeeding that he can show his kids how much he loves them. And he's a husband who can't always guess what his wife is thinking. So, yes. Mark is like you and me, he has flaws, and it is for that very reason that why, what he will share with us today will be relevant for you and me.
1: Thank you, Sierra. And thank you to the, to the breath ensemble. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. I can come visit anytime you um, want. One of the difficult things about preaching uh, a sermon, about making difficult choices, is actually deciding what to say. <laughs> I'm still figuring that part out. I, I know kind of what I want to say. Here's what I don't want to say. I don't want to say anything about making decisions in the context of prayer. I'm going to assume that all of what I'm going to say is in the context of prayer, and I don't want to make anything. I'm not saying anything here about making the most important decision in your life—that of following Jesus. That's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about mundane decisions all the way through critical, difficult kinds of decisions and um, hopefully we'll uh, take away some good things in this process. So, first I'll go to a difficult decision, and I'll share with you on the screen, if you would. Yeah, there I am. Okay, so that's me, and that's what I found this summer. Anyone guess what that is? That is a woolly mammoth, not a mastodon. Mastodon's slightly different after a woolly Mammoth tusk And it's at this, this point that you're all supposed to be really amazed and go, Wow! <laughs> Look at that! The next picture, please. Yeah. That's Colette and my sister trying to get it. I found this on the beach up in Alaska. It was just laying there on top of the beach four and a half feet, five feet by the curve, 55 pounds and a 17-inch circumference. I was with my son at the time and another friend. He and I have been going up and down the beach looking for stuff like this for 33 years, wondering all that time if we'll ever find one of those. What do I do with it now? I told them we could do it like the Stanley Cup. You can have it for a year. I'll have it for a year. You can have it for a year. What would you do with it? Well, we have more difficult decisions to make than that. Thank you. We can be done with this slide for now. I won't tell you until the end. I had a call one time from a pastor in a church who was trying to decide what to do about their youth Sabbath school leader who was pregnant. She was single and pregnant. And the pastoral staff didn't know really quite what to do about that. It, it, It didn't strike them as a good thing. And so they were having a church business meeting and they wanted to know you know, what sorts of things might you suggest? You're in ethics in the 7th Adventist Church. You have some pastoral experience. And so I asked him a little bit more about this, and it turns out she wasn't pregnant because of illicit sexual contact. She had given up on the idea of getting married, but she wanted a child. So she went around the corner to a reproductive clinic. It is the 21st century, folks. And she got pregnant. Do you want someone like that being in a position of leadership in your youth Sabbath school class? It's an interesting conversation, very revealing about some of the ideas about uh, how we deal with difficult decisions like that. What about women's ordination in our church? Struggling with that right now? I'll say more about that later. Societal decisions like who to have in the White House about Marriage and human sexuality? What about abortion? End of life issues? Should we in California have a position of assisted suicide law like they do just north of us? them. Wow, that's tough stuff. Did I do the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Is this the right way to go? Is it not? From intensely personal decisions uh, to more public ones. And one of the things that happens is it gets rather emotional, gets rather intense. And we tend to disagree with others who make decisions differently than we do. And it sets up lines and divisions. Well, as individuals, How do we make tough choices? I'm going to characterize it as making tough choices as individuals, but making tough choices as groups. And frankly, what I believe is that the Bible teaches us it's best that individuals make decisions embedded within groups like a congregation, like a family, like within a relationship with our Maker and our Saviour. What sorts of illustrations and examples do we find in Scripture? One of my favorites, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. Those of us who are more cerebral, we like that text. What about Gideon when he set out his fleece? That's a biblical way to make a decision. Last time you had to make a tough decision, did you do it that way? I mean, lots of us still do. We want a sign, like like Linda was pacing back, just give me something, God. Give me a sign, some indication, something someone says, or some voice I hear. Help me make this decision. Uh, Instead of isolating ourselves, again, I think it's best to make decisions as a group. But... Again, how do we do that in the 21st century? Remember the apostles when they decided they needed to replace Judas? Right? Remember that in chapter 1, they decided, okay, we need to round out the 12 again. How are we going to do that? How do we get the... And what did they do? Do you remember the passage? They cast lots. What does that mean? Jesse, at work, around a conference table, how do we make this decision, folks? Let's cast lots. No, but there's some principle behind that. That is, together we make better decisions. And I think the most important passage from Paul is in 1 Corinthians 12. Go there with me if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12. Read a a short passage from that chapter. It's all about the body of Christ metaphor. The body of Christ metaphor. Paul is very keen on that, and he mentions it time and time again in the letters of the New Testament. We make better decisions when we do it together. But it's more difficult too, because we won't always agree with everybody when we're together. First Corinthians chapter twelve. Uh, verse 14 forward. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But Paul's message in the end is, we're all part of this body. We all make these decisions. Together, On women's ordination as an issue that the church is struggling with. I've disagreed with my church for over 20 years on this question. I thought we should ordain women as ministers for a long, long time. What do you do when you're in disagreement with your church? How do you stay in fellowship, Elmer, as we were talking about in Sabbath school? How do we have a fellowship together when you differ with others in the same place. A couple weeks ago, the Columbia Union Conference decided, even after a rather impassioned appeal by the General Conference President, the world leader of our church, came to this meeting and said, please don't do this. And they did it anyway. What do we do now? Eight days from now, the Pacific Union Conference, where your memberships are held, is going to do the same thing. And guess what? Elder Wilson is going to come again and say, please don't do this. How do we do this together? We want to follow God's leading again. It's in the context of prayer that we do these things. We uh, make decisions best together. So. What about my mammoth tusk lightening up a little bit away from women's our nation by the way how old was that mammoth tusk? don't say it out loud it was really old um how do i how do i decide if i'm being true to what i just said i don't think i should make the decision in isolation I did talk to my wife about it. There were I told you there were two other people with me. I talked to both of them. Should I cut it? Should I How many of you think I should cut it? Raise your hand. I I knew it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. I'm not telling you what I did yet. Okay, so making decisions together. Let's not be uh, too put off in the 21st century if we find out that the way we make decisions is far more complex than we have thought previously. I've been reading some immensely challenging stuff lately. And I don't, I'm sorry I made fun a little bit of the evolutionary debate. That seems to me a minor thing in comparison to what I'm reading about what they're telling us about our brains. One of the books, Subliminal, How Your Unconscious Mind Rules Your Behavior. And if you hold it carefully, you'll see a subtitle. Hey there. Yes, you. Sexy. Buy this book now. You know you want it. Author of the best-selling book. And then it says and your all-time favorite writer. Do you see that? You don't see any of that, do you? But guess what? Your brain does. Subliminal advertising. You remember in the theaters years and years and years ago? Flash one frame of ice uh, uh, soda and popcorn. Guess what? 20% of you are going to get up and walk out and go get some popcorn and soda without any conscious reflection on the idea. What are we learning? Here's another book about um, blind spots. It's called "Why We Do," or sorry, "Why We Fail to Do What's Right," and what to do about it. We're learning so much, and science is challenging us with regard to what we know. One of the main attacks, attack. One of the main things that we're struggling with in light of all this evidence is what does it mean to make a free moral choice? They're so good at reading the brain now. It's like a language. And, and they can print out stuff from your brain. If they ask you, for instance, uh, when you're on think of your favorite place. They'll print it out for you. And at some point, it wouldn't surprise me if they had me hooked up and said, "I'm Mom, think about when you were born. Do you have ready access to that memory? Can you remember that? It's in there somewhere. You did live through it. See? They'll print it out for you. And you can experience it again. Just seems a little too, right? Right? That's part of the... It's an amazing, amazing science. We're we're talking to another church member after the first service. Epigenetics. We thought something about the genome. Epigenetics. And he says, oh, there's even more stuff. More stuff. I've always thought, to share another for instance, about human sexuality. Well, you're either this way or you're that way. And whatever you decide is what you are. Scientists are not done with that equation. Scientists are probing all kinds of things. How can you tell whether someone is this way or that way? Turns out they can tell by looking at your eyes. Did you see this recently? When you focus your attention on something, anything, your eyes dilate. If I ask you, please solve the equation of 25 squared plus, I don't even do enough math to know what equation to tell you your eyes will dilate immediately the moment you start focusing your attention on it. And guess what? Sex is one of those things. So you can be telling someone what you are consciously, and if you're not that way unconsciously, your eyes will reveal you. If you want to know whether someone's really into you or not, stare them in the eye. It's okay. <laughs> that old saying, right, of, right? Lovers stare into each other's eyes. It's because we can tell they're into us, because our brain registers that fact unconsciously. And guess what? We don't control our unconscious mind. That's why we call it the unconscious mind. And yet it has a great deal of control over us. A couple illustrations. On a market, in England, a grocery store market, they have two brands of wine, French wine, German wine. How does the customer decide what to buy? On the top shelf, the store put a cassette player or CD player, whatever was it was at the time. And on one day of the week, they played French music. And on the other day of the week, they played German music. We all know that better music is. They say nothing of the wine. Um, on the days that French music played, guess what? Seventy percent of the wine purchased is French. On the days that the German wi- or German music was played, seventy percent of the wine purchased was German. And when asked, "How did you make that decision?" Only two percent said they they noticed the fact that the music and the wine matched. Here's another one. In the office place, there was a, in the kitchen, a place to get tea and coffee. And uh, this, routinely, the office secretary struggled to get enough money to pay for it. People, it was the honesty policy, and they weren't dropping change in the box to pay for all of this. And so she tried to come up with a, a creative way to get them to pay more money. So she put a banner up behind the tea and coffee counter. And on one day it was flowers, and on another day it was eyes. Guess when the donations went up? No one said anything about it. Not beforehand, not we're going to try to tie this to see if you give more, not afterwards. No one reflected. Gosh, what was it, it was about the eyes and the flowers on the wall? No one said anything about it. But the donations skyrocketed. Not only did they skyrocket, but it depended on the kind of eyes that they put up there. If they're pleasant, relaxed, joyful eyes, ah, enjoy your tea. No problem. But if they're condemning eyes, you pay up. See. Finally, because uh, I could go on, I mean, it's astounding the challenges. Decide when you make the choice and then tell us when you've made the choice. They can tell you before you tell them what choice you've made by reading what's going on in your brain. So, the final uh, experiment uh, they put people in a situation where they lied. They either lied by phone call or they lied by email. And then after this lying event, they uh, asked them, please, to go choose a certain product from a a selection of products, primarily cleansing products. And the people who had lied over the phone chose what? Mouthwash. The people who had lied via email, email chose soap. No one purposefully did that. What's going on in these things? And, and, and so the point is, don't be surprised if science continues to push us as believers. But let's think about this for a minute. We once believed that the world was flat. Faithful people dedicated to following Jesus knew their God and their Savior. We once believed that the sun revolved around us. Faithful people. And when challenged, they, were, they went to fighting about it. Literally killing each other about it. We once believed in this country, not very long ago, that women weren't intelligent enough to vote. Not that long ago, folks. We once believed and argued with Scripture that some persons ought to be slaves. So let's not be surprised if the 21st century brings us a flood of information that challenges so much about our faith. Faith in God and His Son's saving grace never went away through the difficulty of all of those decisions and all of those life-changing bits of information. What is more important than free moral choice? What is more important than making the right choice at the right time and in the right way? What is more important than making a tough decision the way God wants you to? What's more important, in my view, is knowing who you are in the process and knowing who God is, particularly in relation to you in the process. That's more important. It strikes me. Than always making the right decision. Now, please, don't go away thinking that Mark doesn't believe it's important to make difficult decisions the right way at the right time. I do. I am wracked with anxiety routinely about this. But here's my point your character is more important than your decisions. No, let that sink in. Your character is more important and your decisions what do i mean by character well i have this idea that scripture is pretty clear in my reading that when someone comes to jesus christ and says here i am i give you myself please love me i accept your love i have this idea that that should begin a process it may be glacial it may move really slow but he will transform you into someone new strikes me that scripture is clear about that second corinthians 3:18 from the message version nothing between us and god it says our faces shining with the brightness of his face and so we are transfigured much like the messiah Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. What's more important than making the right decisions? Knowing our God and slowly, ever so slowly, adopting His character as our character. And that's hard work. And this is not about salvation and work salvation. That's I told you that's not the question here today. It's about being a decent human being. Yeah, that is hard work. In this day and age and in our culture and in our society, that's hard work. And if you want to be a jerk, God will let you be a jerk. It's pretty basic stuff. If you want to focus your attention on ugly, negative, nasty stuff, go right ahead. What's hard work is to follow Jesus. To choose, to practice the character traits that He lived out. What did He say about His own character when He was here? What did He say? Matthew 11. He said, I am We don't know that one. Take my yoke upon you because I am what? See, we don't even know because we don't care anymore. Christians don't need to be gentle. Christians need to be strong. I am gentle, he said. I am humble. Those are his words, not someone interpreting what he was saying. Those are his words. What does Scripture say about following after our Jesus? You remember the acronym WWJD? What would Jesus do? Remember that? It was like a youth movement thing for a while. showed up all over the place. What would Jesus do? I, I love the question. I think it's a very important and good question. The trouble is, as we read the Gospel stories... Uh, and see uh, all of the occasions when the the people thought they knew exactly what He was going to do, He did something really odd. Something completely unlike they had anticipated. And they were all standing around baffled at the end of this event. What would Jesus do? Well, it's kind of hard to guess. I like to shift it around, switch it around, and, and use WWJB. Who would Jesus be in this situation? What kind of person would Jesus be in this situation? And again, when you're making tough decisions in the 21st century, when all of this stuff is bombarding you with making it right and knowing everything, we know who we should be in the process, even if we occasionally fail to do the right thing. But here's the beauty of it. As we develop practice and reflect the character traits of Jesus more than likely we'll make the right decisions and do the right thing because he has transformed us made us into someone we were not Finish with a couple of texts Colossians chapter 3 again what's more important than making good decisions, knowing who you are and who God is in the process. Character is more important. What do I mean? In this passage in Colossians, it's pretty straightforward. Paul says to put on, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, the following character traits. Compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, patience, forbearing one another putting up with each other, forbearing one another as the Lord has forgiven. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven. You also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The book cover that Linda had up there, the anxiety that racks Christians. We're not uh, immune to anxiety. The peace of Christ. Put on the peace of Christ. And that will change your character traits ever so gently, ever so slowly. Have you ever known an anxious person? Anybody know an anxious person? You know what kind of personal character traits they have, right? Let the peace of Christ just flood into you and in the room it's not easy stuff. Galatians chapter 5, going back a little bit. Galatians chapter 5. In this chapter Paul compares and contrasts the kind of personality traits from both sides, the former self if you will, and the self that has chosen to follow Jesus and has been influenced by the Spirit. So starting in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit or we could simply say the character traits of those persons following Christ. In this century, in the wake of all of this information and the challenge of all the stuff we're learning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and so on. So if I asked you to describe the character traits that our society is living out today, just in Southern California, in Chicago, in Baltimore, in Miami. What are the character traits that our society is living out today? Would any of these things come up? I, I, I don't think so. Paul says, this is how the follower of Christ is to live out his or her life. With these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, no provoking of one another, unless you're in the Contemporary Issues class where we can provoke each other lots of times because we love each other and have year Final passage. In the second book of Peter, and I want to shift and use the message version that I have on my phone here. The second book of Peter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 forward. The central message this morning, your character is more important than your decisions. He says there, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, the best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you, your tickets to participation in the life of God. That phrase, participation, participation in the life of God that's astounding when you think about it lowly humans can participate in the life and character of God himself after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust and chose to follow Jesus so don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given contemplating your basic faith with good character Spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your life, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can see what's right before you. Sorry, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So, friends, confirm God's invitation to you. And I'll just insert here, don't be heavy laden by these difficult decisions. Don't be heavy laden. I know that's difficult. And it's different for me at 52 than it was at 22. Immensely different. Immensely different, but still I cling to that idea that it's more important to be connected in good relationship with your God, your friends, your family, your congregation, your church, your people. Where was I? Let's go on to verse 10. So, friends, confirm God's invitation to you, His choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this and you'll have your life on a firm footing The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. I like that last part. The way will be wide open for you to follow Jesus in the way that works best. Well, what should I do? Cut the tusk or not cut the tusk? Let's go back to the pictures if you would. Mundane decision. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Yes, yeah, shocking, isn't it? <laughs> you, but you see the beauty, the color uh, of the exposed tusk, and it smelled just like being in the dental office today. I don't know how old it was, but it smelled exactly like it was pulled out of my <laughs> my head today. Astounding. Astounding. Thank you. Character is far more important. (laughs) Father in heaven, we do live in a time that is immensely challenging for all kinds of reasons, and it is difficult at times to make decisions because we want to make the right decisions. We want to reflect how you would have us decide. And so I pray that you would bless us through and through, from the tip of our brains to the tips of our toes. And imbue us with your grace and your love and your character
0: in that process. In Jesus' name.